We have been talking about the names of Jesus. And last week, we started a series on the 25 names of Jesus. Uh, over the course of Advent, we're looking at a name a day and uh, what that name means, what it means to us, what it means to those historically. And this morning, we're going to spend some time in corporate prayer, some responsive prayer um, out of those names that we have reflected on this past week. So I'd like to remind you guys of what those names were, uh, where those passages came from, and then I'm going to pray. I'll pray something short, and then when I end each prayer with, we ask this now, you guys respond, Lord, hear our prayer. And I think we have a, a slide, yep. So I'll pray something, and you respond, Lord, hear our prayer. Uh, so though the words of the prayer may be coming from me, you guys are grabbing a hold of it and saying, yes, we want this to be our prayer as well. So let's, uh, let's be reminded of the names that we looked at this last week, and then let's go to prayer. We looked at the, the name Alpha and Omega, found in Revelation twenty two thirteen. 13. We looked at Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, found in Isaiah 9, 6. We looked at the Firstborn of Every Creature, found in Colossians 1, And yesterday, the name of Christ we looked at was unspeakable gift. Let's pray together. Dearest Lord Jesus, we recognize you as the Alpha and the Omega. You are our first and our last, our beginning and end. We ask that we would allow you that role in our lives. And we ask this now, Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus, you are our wonderful counselor. We thank you for the times you have counseled us toward changed lives. We thank you for the time you've been eager for us to come and and go to you. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to give us the courage to come to you as our wonderful counselor for anything and everything. We ask this now. Lord, hear our prayer. Mighty God, That is yet another name you are called, most precious Jesus. And your might is evident. Not a thing in this universe takes place without your knowledge. Not a breath of wind, nor an erupting volcano. You allow it all due to your might. Help us, mighty God, to trust in your strength. And forgive us when we try to do things by our own might. We ask this now, Lord hear our prayer. Everlasting Father, I'm not even sure I can grasp the width and depth of that statement. You amaze us with the way you do care for us as a father. We are amazed at how that love never fades or drifts away. Help us, Jesus, to come to you as a child does his earthly father, to crawl up into your lap and to rest in your everlasting arms. We ask this now, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, Prince of Peace, Lord Jesus, how we need that today. We live in a world ravaged and torn by the effects of a world that does not live in the peace that you offer. Jesus, be our peace. Bring the world your shalom. Rule in us and our world with a peace that transforms. We ask this now. Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus, you are called the firstborn of every creature. 
You have led the way. You have proven yourself worthy by taking the first steps for each of us. Lord, by taking the first steps for all creation. Forgive us, Jesus, when we try and forge our own path forward, forgetting that you have already gone before us. We ask this now. Lord, hear our prayer. The unspeakable gift. That is what the Apostle Paul called you, Jesus. And what an appropriate name, given the season that we are in. We search and search for the perfect present, the perfect gift for our friends and loved ones. Yet when all is said and done, the perfect gift, the unspeakable gift, has already been given. Jesus, help us accept you as that gift in our lives. Help our hands stretch out to you in anticipation of how you will complete us. Help us to recognize that you are the gift that we and the world around us really need this season. We ask this now. Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus, we pray all this in your powerful name, the name that is above all other names. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Station and team, thank you for leading us this morning in worship. John chapter 1, verse 29. says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you guys ever seen a picture that looks like this? Yes? I mean, there's Jesus. Peaceful looking, smiling. His hair is in just the right place. Right? Clean robe, the sun setting or rising, depending on what time of day you like to get up. And he's holding a lamb. What a picture. I have a rub with pictures like this. It's not that I don't want to believe that, that this didn't happen. It's just that I used to work with sheep. And I know that scenes like this are rare. I think I've mentioned to some of you in the past that I worked as a 4-H leader at a children's home where I used to work uh, early 2000s. We raised sheep and we took them to the interna- interstate fair and then sold them for market. Now the closest I ever came to a scene like this was on the days when we would go pick up the lambs from the breeder. This took place twice a year. I would take two kids with me, and we'd drive the old work truck with the, with the, the, the walls on the side, and we'd drive out to Edwall, Washington. And we would go into a barn with all the other people who were there to buy their little lambs. And it was loud. Now, these people, they came, and we were going to have like a lottery-type system to pick the lambs out. And by the time everybody got there, the little lambs had been separated from their mama lambs. Their mama lambs were outside the barn. Little lambs were inside. I see see a sad face, and you should be sad, because inside the little lambs were just bleating and bawling, and and, and outside the moms were bleating and bawling, and it it was audibly chaotic. Now, like I said, scenes like this rarely happened, but the closest that it would come to is when I would carry the lambs from the barn to the truck. 
See, we would pick the lambs, and then we would section off the, the 12 to 15 that we were going to take back to, uh, to the children's home, and I'd get to pick up each little lamb, which at that stage in their life, they weighed about 30 pounds. And though they had been bleating and bawling before, there was something about being wrapped in somebody's arms, held close to somebody's chest. So just for the brief moment, it was kind of like that. Well, let me tell you, I never looked that good. I had sheep poo and pee all over me, and mud, and straw, and I was wearing dirty Carhartt overalls. There was no magic glow about me. John called Jesus the Lamb of God. So is this the mental picture he wants us to have? Maybe God holding a Jesus, peaceful, calm, serene. Or, was John thinking about what took place about four months later after I would pick up the lambs from Edwall? See, the day we took those 4-H lambs to the fair was the day that we all had to get physically ready for. Because four months later, these little lambs that had been specifically fed, regimentally exercised, and they at that time were about 135 to 170 pounds, they had to be moved from our barn to the interstate fair. Now, most smart farmers had like a, a truck or trailer with a ramp, and you just herd the lambs up into the, the trailer and take them. Not us. We had a pickup without a ramp. So each and every one of those 12 to 15, or 12 to 15 lambs weighing in at 150 to 170 pounds had to be picked up by me and put in the back of that truck. Those sheep didn't want anything to do with me. They would kick, they would scream, they would fight every moment of that. They may have been scared, yet they were powerful, strong, and determined. Let me tell you, there was no halo floating above my head on those days. Hurt backs, cuts, bruises, some choice words. This was a battle. Can you picture it? Most times all I could do was get a couple of handfuls of wool and just hold on. Is that the mental picture that John wants us to get when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God? Strong, feisty, determined, powerful. John chapter 1, verse 29, the, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did John really mean when he called Jesus the Lamb of God? Did he want us to picture sweet and serene or powerful and strong? This morning, each of you have some wool in your, somewhere near you, and I encourage you, take it out. Grab it. Hold it. I want this piece of wool to be part of you over these next 20 to 25 minutes. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God's guidance on his time in, our, in Scripture. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. We've, we've sung about it already. We've already looked at uh, one verse uh, regarding that. And we need your help to understand what that fully means. And God, this morning I need your help. I need your strength as we talk. I ask that your words would be, uh, would be my words, or my words would be your words. And Lord, I ask that you'd guide us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're in week two of our Advent series, looking at 25 names of Jesus. And this morning we look at the Lamb of God. Listen to that verse in its entirety and in the context. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 35 and 36. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Before we unpack what it means for us, perhaps we ought to reflect a bit on what images or thoughts may have come to mind to the the people who were there that day, who would have heard John utter that name towards Jesus. I wonder if when John uttered the Lamb of God as the name for Jesus, how many in the surrounding crowds would have been taken back to the story of Abraham and Isaac? See, Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, and, and Isaac was his promised son, through whom God would bless the entire earth. And one day, God told Abraham, go, take this son of yours and sacrifice him on a mountain as an offering to me. Keep in mind, this was the chosen offspring, a child from Abraham and Isaac, given in their old age. And yet God still told him to go and sacrifice him. Talk about confusion. Talk about questions. Talk about wonderings as to what God was up to. Yet Abraham followed God's instructions. We pick up the story after the father and son have left their slaves who had accompanied them them that far. They started their journey up the mountain and we enter into what must have been an intimate moment for the father-son pair. Genesis chapter 22 verse 6 through 8. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. God would provide a sheep. God would provide a sacrifice. This was dad's response to a questioning son. Now many of us today know that story, but I would wager that all that were in the audience when John called Jesus the Lamb of God would have known that story, every single one of them. And I wonder how many of them started to think, huh, is God somehow providing for us in this guy John is calling the Lamb of God? Abraham and Isaac. One story, one possible scene that could have played out in the minds of the people that day. I think another possible scene that could have come to their minds was all the times they had heard the stories from their own prophets. They had to have remembered the references towards lambs. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, God was warning Jeremiah about what was coming. 
Then the Lord told me about the plots my enemies were making against me, Jeremiah said. I was like a lamb being led to slaughter. I had no idea that they were planning to kill me. Let's destroy this man and all his words, they said. Let's cut him down so that his name will be forgotten forever. Like a lamb being led to slaughter. Could it be that at this stage in Jesus' earthly ministry, this stage being very, very early, could it be that the people would have made connections to future plots against Jesus' life? Would they have had the foresight to connect this passage in Jeremiah to what was to come to Jesus? Maybe, maybe they thought of the section in the prophet Isaiah where God's suffering servant was called a lamb. Isaiah 53, verses 6 through 8. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Again, like a lamb led to slaughter. Some serious prophetic words that may or may not have had dots beginning to connect for those in John's crowd that day. John said, this is the Lamb of God, and in declaring this, perhaps he was saying, your prophets dreamed of the one who would love and suffer and die for you. That one has arrived. Isaiah 53, the entire chapter, especially in later church years, really became the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. One of the truest forecasts of what took place. Maybe John the Baptist was the first to see the chapter as such, relating to Jesus. Can I take you on a little rabbit trail for just a second? Remember I started the sermon looking at that, that picture of Jesus and, and saying it was rare for that perfect picture to take place? And I told you I had a rub with pictures like that? I find the same rub with what the prophet Isaiah said about a sheep being silent before the shearers. See, in the four years of working with lambs at the children's home, we probably sheared well over a hundred sheep, and never once was any of them silent. They bawled and they bleated the entire time it was taking place. There was one sheep in particular that must have been listening to the baas of its brothers and sister lambs. Because when it came turn, time for its turn, it rotated around and shot off. It just took off. Now, it took a wrong turn and it ran right into the little corral next to the shearers. So it got in there and it looked to the left and all it saw was fence. And it looked to the right and all it saw was fence. It looked forward and all it saw was fence. And it turned around and all it saw was me. And I was standing in between that sheep and freedom. And I kid you not, I'd never had this happen. That sheep lowered its head, ran as fast as me as it possibly could, and it tried to jump me. Had I been four feet tall, it would have cleared me. But I wasn't. Somehow, I braced myself and caught it. 160 pounds. Every jaw dropped, including mine, that saw that take place. Now, I acted like it 
It happened before. I walked it over, stuck it on the shears. We strapped it in, and it bawled and it bleated the entire time it was sheared. Like a sheep is silent before its shearers. I didn't ever experience that. But to me, this really makes Isaiah 53, 7 come alive. As Jesus was this prophesied Lamb of God, he lived out this passage just as it was written. And I wonder how many of those in John's crowd that day thought back to those two prophetic voices, Jeremiah's and Isaiah's, and began making connections with Jesus. You know, if the story of Abraham or the story of the prophets didn't come to mind, there's a very good chance that when John called Jesus the Lamb of God, they would have thought of the upcoming Passover festival. This was the premier annual celebration for the Jews, the celebration of what God had done in Israel's history to set them free from slavery. And this festival, this celebration was in the very near future after John called Jesus the Lamb of God. How do we know? Well, we we follow the little trail John leads for us. Chapter 1, verse 29 of John, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so that's day one. Chapter 1, verse 35, it says, The following day, John was again standing with his two disciples. So we're the next day. Chapter 1, verse 43, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So how many days out are we now? Three, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1 says, The next day, or some of your translations read, On the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana. Chapter 2, verse 12, it says, After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and brothers. So we're up to about a week, okay? Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover festival. Passover festival was coming soon, and there are those that suggest that even as John the Baptist saw Jesus, there passed by a flock of lambs being driven up to Jerusalem from the country districts to serve as sacrificial lambs for the Passover feast. Kind of a nice romantic idea. Now for those that don't know this account of the Passover, the old story of the Passover was that it was the blood of the slain lamb that protected the houses of the Israelites on the night when they left Egypt. Listen to it from Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 to 13. God told Moses, announced to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you must select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They had to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides of the top of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat, along, eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, and internal organs must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave it, any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. 
verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So on that night, the angel of death walked abroad and smote the firstborn of the Egyptians. The Israelites, they were to smear the doorposts with blood of the slain lamb, and the angel would see this blood and pass over their house. It was the blood of the lamb which delivered them from destruction. So you get a sacrificed lamb, blood on a doorpost, death passed over due to that blood. Jesus as blood on a doorpost, or on a cross. But that was yet to come. You know, as we hold our, our tuft of sheep's wool, kind of makes me wonder, did the Israelite children, in those days leading up to the slaughter, did they ever rub their hands through the wool of that sheep? Did the moms ever rub their hands in that wool and grieve over the fate Exodus 12, 6 says, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening. Had a bond formed with the animal? And even though they knew its upcoming fate, did they still become attached? Yes, that lamb was their ticket out of slavery, but I bet it still hurt. When our kids would take their 4-H lambs to the interstate fair, they, they knew the ultimate end. They knew that, that this lamb would be sold to market. And somewhere in the back of their mind, this, man, this lamb that they had loved and cared for and poured their heart and soul into the last four months, I don't know what they had hoped for, but they knew it was going to take place. So they'd take that lamb into the ring at the auction, and people would bid on it, and, and they'd get excited as the bid grew higher and higher, and then finally the auctioneer would hit the gavel and yell, sold, and somebody would come and take the lamb away, and those kids would realize Oh, and they'd come walking or running out of the ring, some of them crying, often very quiet. And any time the sound of a lamb would reverberate through the barn, their body shakes would start again as they realized this lamb was going to die. Did that same thing take place for the children of Israel? John declared Jesus was the Lamb of God. Could the people around him, being within earshot, even begin to imagine that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was to bring the current people and us in the future out of a deeper and darker form of slavery? Would their minds have been drawn back to that pivotal moment in their Passover history? Could they even fathom that they were living in another pivotal moment in history, the most pivotal years in all of humanity's history? John looked up and he declared, this is the Lamb of God. I'm guessing he declared it quite loudly. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
We've wondered aloud now if the crowds would have thought of Abraham and Isaac. We've wondered if they would have thought of the prophets, and we've recently looked at whether or not they would have thought of the Passover. In each of these times I've, I've shared the verse, I've stopped with John declared Jesus as the Lamb of God. Because I'm guessing some people in the, in the crowd, they would have heard that and their minds would have wandered to any of those three that we've looked at. And they would have missed the rest of what John said. But there may have been a few who caught him say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And had they caught that part, I'm pretty sure their minds would have gone to the temple sacrificial system. And I'm guessing that's where John's mind went also. See, he had been the son of a priest, Zechariah. We, we learn this in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And as a priest, Zechariah would have been responsible for the morning and evening sacrifices of the lambs. Exodus chapter 29, verse 38 says, there are, these are the sacrifices you are to offer regularly in the altar. Each day offer two lambs that are a year old, one in the morning and the other in the evening. Verse 42, these burnt offerings are to be made each day from generation to generation. Offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance, and there I will meet with you and speak with you. Two lambs sacrificed for the sins of the people. A practice that had gone on for generation upon generation upon generation before little John the Baptist came to be. And this was a practice that even in times of war and famine, the Israelites made sure it happened. Growing up, John probably watched as his dad took the morning sacrificial lamb. He may have heard the sound of the bleating sheep. He may have rubbed his hands over the wool of the sheep as it passed by on its way to slaughter for the sins of the people. He may have rubbed his hands on it and then smelled them even throughout the rest of the day, reminding him of the cost of sin and the sacrifice that it required. On a different side note, some people believe that when Jesus gave his life up on the cross, it was at the same time as when the evening sacrificial lamb was sacrificed. It's an interesting and image-rich thought. Now would those people around John, would they have thought of the sacrificial lambs in the temple when John said what he did? Look, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. Jesus as the Lamb of God. You know, I think for those who heard John call him that, even if they didn't recognize it at the time he said it, they would have had to have thought back over this phrase over the course of their lifetimes, and I bet it meant a lot to them. But what does this name mean for us? Listen again to this passage that the name comes from. John chapter 1, verse 29 and following. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. 
I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one. Now, the following day, John was again standing with his two, two of his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. When we hear Jesus called that, what do we think? What will we hear? Will we allow Jesus to be the sacrifice that God provides for us, just like he did for Abraham? Will we hear the voices from our own scriptures, the same scriptures as the Israelite people? We claim to be people who follow God's written word, so his word points us towards Jesus. Will we hear echoes of a Passover celebration that, honestly, most of us don't know much about? That doesn't mean near as much to us as it did for the Jews. And yet Jesus still plays the role of Passover lamb for us, saving each of us who claim his blood from ultimate death. The Apostle Paul wouldn't let us forget that. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. When we hear Jesus declared as the Lamb of God, will we think about an old sacrificial system? Will we hear the need for the forgiveness of our own sins? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 to 12, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Under the Old Covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Or listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. This sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Maybe you'll think back to one of those four things or, or maybe you'll decide in hearing Jesus called the Lamb of God that you want to do exactly what those two disciples of John did. John one thirty seven. when John's two disciples heard John say this, They followed Jesus. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And as the Lamb of God, it means for us that our sins have been forgiven. The sacrifice for us has been made. Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon and throughout that John has called Jesus the Lamb of God. And I asked, so is Jesus the sweet and serene and peaceful Lamb? Or is he the mighty and powerful, full of strength lamb? 
My answer is yes to both. Was Jesus serene, quiet, and peaceful? He was before Pilate. He was before the cross. But he also comes kicking and screaming, full of strength and might, desiring to claim us. There is power in this Lamb of God. Amen. There is power in this Lamb of God. So what do we do with that? How do we respond to knowing that Jesus is the Lamb of God? You know, on a very small level, my immediate response would be, just as you've been holding on to this, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to that Lamb of God. Let Him come running at you and jump on you and grab a hold and don't let go. Now take that and run with it. My prayer is that the reflections on Jesus' name as Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, would change how we view and understand this Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Lamb of God. You are our sacrifice. You are the reason that we can be set free from slavery to sin. God, we recognize that you had, you had been prophesied about. And we recognize that all of Scripture points towards you. God, we've heard this phrase in the past. We've heard it again over and over this morning that you are our Lamb of God. I pray that today we would understand that just a little bit more. And I do pray that it would help shape how we view this child that we celebrate at Christmas. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing Lamb of God one more time. It's number 302 in your hymnal. So if you care to follow along in the hymnal, it's number 302. Christ.